Welcome to Water and Stone. My name is Dieter Randolph, but you know that. What you might not know is that starting today and from now on, we have a whole new format. Basically what's gonna happen is the first Sunday of every month is gonna feel like a workshop. And that means just like today, the first Sunday of July, I'm gonna talk for a little bit longer and I'm gonna give you some things that I really want you to work on and think about and write down. So right now, you're gonna to wanna to grab a pen and paper and all of that. I also recommend that you get yourself a Bible. The scripture today is Mark 5, 19. And so we're gonna take a look at that together. So go ahead and grab whatever Bible you have around the house and uh, we'll start with that. But I wanna let you know that there's also something very special that's gonna to happen today. We are pre-recording this lesson. So although you're watching it live, it was recorded yesterday or the day before or something like that. And the reason that we're doing that is if you're watching this live at 11 a.m. on Sunday morning, Jenny and I are watching it live along with you. And that means in the comments that you see along the side of your screen, we're there to write and to respond to your questions and your comments. We want this to feel interactive. And so take that opportunity. This is supposed to be a time to learn. Today, we're going to talk about what it feels like and what it means to be called out, to have something inside of you that's got to come out to change your life and change your world. Sometimes the frustrations that we feel are just that bigger, better something that wants to come out and give us a bigger, better life. It's time to start right now. So let's begin with our opening statement. God is and I am. I stand on holy ground. Right here and right now there is truth. Right here and right now there is freedom. Right here and right now there is life. This is who I am. I am ready. From now on I speak the truth. From now on I choose freedom. From now on this is my life. The unstoppable love of God prepares the way. I am ready. And so it is and so it does. Amen. So our scripture today is Mark 5, 19. And he did not let him, but he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Now that requires a little bit of background, that story. Who's the him and who's the he and, and all of that. But the thing you need to know, and I invite you to, to go back and check out the scripture and all of that, but the thing you need to know is that this happens right after an incredible healing story. Jesus goes into a, a foreign land. He crosses the water and goes to a place where no one likes people like him. And the first thing he does, he's barely off the boat, and he heals this guy. And this guy who is healed says, I want to come with you. I want to join the band. I want to do anything. Let me be your opening act. Let's, let's go on the road and I'll tell everybody all over the world how good you are and it'll be great. Now, think of yourself in that position. If you need a good PR person, think of what you would have said. But that's not what Jesus said. The deal is that Jesus said, just go home. The scripture says, and he would not let him. In other words, he wouldn't let him come with him. Jesus said, just go home. Go back to your people and you can tell them how great this is. But your power to change things isn't by going on the road with us. Your power to change things is by going home. 
And there's something really significant about that. It's not a message that, that we're accustomed to hearing. Your power to change things, not just him in the story, but you and me, our power starts at home. Now, this really shouldn't come as a surprise because when you think about what we read in Scripture, so often there's quotes like, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Over and over again, there's this idea of us in our home, our family, this moment, this very small group of people. Over and over again, the theme is us. There's a connection and an intimacy that we don't often think about, even though it's everywhere in the Scripture. Now, you know, last week we talked about the uh, great commandment. You know, Jesus said, if you want to do this stuff, what you got to do, remember this, is love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. And so there's that idea. This is about a communication between neighbors. This isn't something that requires, for example, a, a PA system. Now, I know if you really know your scripture, if you know your Jesus stuff, you'll, you might say, yeah, but along with that great commandment, there's this thing called the Great Commission. And in the Great Commission, Jesus says, okay, disciples, we're good. You graduate, sort of. Now, I want you to go out into the world and tell everybody about this. And I want you to really live this stuff. And the key to it is I want you to show people something. And so we've got these two ideas that might seem conflicting. There's this one idea of just start small, just keep it at home, just think about your family and those intimate connections because that's where the difference gets made. Hmm, that makes a real point, but think about it for a minute. This is the first thing that I want you to write down. Who are your people? Really, who are your people? But there's this conflict because there's this idea of, be with your people, with your home, with your stuff, and go out and change the world. And so it's not unfair to go, okay, well, which is it? How does that work? And in order to find the answer, it's going to be helpful to go and look at what Jesus actually did and look at the history of it and think about those numbers. Because you know the beginning of the story, right? It's Jesus and 12 guys. You've heard that one. But after all of the miracles and all of the teachings, and all of the lessons, and everything, and feeding the multitudes, and walking on water, and Easter morning for Pete's sake. After all of that, when you flip ahead a little bit, just a few years later, when you go to Acts 1.15, there's a number there. There's this discussion of this huge gathering. You know how many people were at this huge gathering after all the miracles and all the feeding of the multitudes and all of the everything that went on? You know how many people were there? We start with 12. And in Acts 1.15, it says there were 120 people. That's not a lot of people, guys. Most restaurants hold more than that. And so you got to go, well, Jesus clearly knew what he was doing. So if the, the commission is to go out and change the world and tell everybody, how come the numbers aren't bigger? And as always, as always with Jesus' teachings, maybe the lesson is to look at it a different way. Maybe it doesn't mean what we think it means. Maybe success, and this is the part that means you, maybe success doesn't just have to do with the outer idea with the numbers, with the facts and figures, maybe changing the world has to do with looking at something 
a different way. That's the, that's the beginning of, of all of this. So maybe success doesn't mean the outer facts and figures. Maybe it's not a numbers game. Maybe getting to where you want to go has to do with something a little bit smaller. Now, think about it with me. Imagine that you want to get your start as a stand-up comic. The first step is not to own your own comedy club, right? Imagine you want to get a start as an athlete. You want to be a baseball player. The first step is not to build your own stadium. Imagine you want to be an artist. The first step is not to buy a gallery. There are examples over and over and over again. In no job that I can think of is step one, create a venue, right? It doesn't really work that way. And so I'm starting to wonder if maybe church isn't kind of a weird idea, the way that we think about church, because a lot of times when a minister gets started, the idea is have your own church, have your own building, have your own seats in your own auditorium and your own PA system, when we don't see that anywhere as step one. And in fact, we don't even see it as the end goal. There are very few stand-up comedians that own their own venues. There are very few musicians that own their own arenas. There are very few athletes that own their own stadiums. There are very few artists who own their own galleries, are there? There are very few lawyers who own their own courthouses. It doesn't really work that way. In fact, that would be kind of weird. I want you to know that this is a very different idea for me to really look at this because I have grown up with the idea that being a minister has to do, uh, it's it's completely uh, one and one, locked in, has to do with having a big building. That's how you know a minister is a good minister. That's what I've grown up with. As you know, I'm third generation minister, and so I've heard this from every angle. I've heard this from family. I've heard this from colleagues. I go, as, as a kid, I remember going to gatherings where ministers would get together, and they would talk about how big their churches were in the same way that other people might talk about how big that fish was that they actually didn't catch, you know what I mean? So this represents some unlearning for me. But it's a funny thing, because when I think about the, dis- the distance between 12 guys and 120 people, I imagine Jesus hanging out at the hotel bar at a minister's conference and all those ministers going, how big is your church now? I've got 500 people. I've got 600 people. I've got 1,000 people. And Jesus says, well, you know, we've been at it for a few years. and We've had some successes, but we have about 120 people coming. I think there's a lot of ministers that would go, man, you need a better sound system. You need a smoke machine and some purple lights. Have you invested in music? Maybe success doesn't mean what we think it means. And that's the point. I think so often in life, we we tell ourselves that we've got to chase some big outer thing, the church, the building. What's your version in your life? Because chasing the outer thing can take you away from doing what you were called to do, and it can make you a a building manager, a business manager, something external. And you know this because you've seen a lot of preachers on TV and now on YouTube uh, talking to you from their laptops, sitting in a barca lounger, talking about how they've got to raise money, how they've got to keep a roof over somebody's head, and, and a lot of those things. And you know what? I respect that, but I wonder if that's key to the mission anymore. You know, I started to encounter this when we started to have to close down churches because of the corona thing. 
And it occurred to me that there were ministers who knew darn well they shouldn't have their doors open, who fought to keep their doors open anyway, and it wasn't for spiritual reasons all the time. You know what I mean? I got to tell you. The other day, we're flipping around the channels, and uh, there was this television preacher. And I stopped because I couldn't believe, first of all, how great his hair looked, but also I just couldn't believe what he was saying because he said... Now, I know that the economy is bad. You like my impression? I know the economy is bad, and I know that a lot of people are losing their jobs, but don't you stop sending those tithes in because you're working for Jesus. And here in my ministry, we are going to get $300 million this year, and I just know it. So even if you lose your job, you keep sending in those checks and put your credit card in. You can donate online. And I was ashamed, frankly. Those guys make us all look bad, you know? There is a point that you shouldn't give up faith, but that faith doesn't necessarily translate into spending money you don't have. That's not the point, but that's building manager thinking instead of calling thinking. And I bring this up, even though I know that most of the people watching this are not ministers of a church, I bring this up because there is an analog for this in your life too it is very possible that you think or thought that success involves some big outer thing, but once you get that big outer thing, the big car, the big job, the attention of that one person, all of a sudden, instead of doing what you're here to do, you're satisfying the thing. Instead of owning it, it owns you. You know what I mean? And that doesn't feel like success at all. Ask yourself, is there a part of your life where you have become a building manager. And ask yourself if that is really core to the mission, if that's really why you're here. And with that in mind, I got to tell you that let's be the kind of people who can give thanks when something disrupts that. When you think that your ministry is about a church building and circumstances uh, conspire to say you can't be in that building, is it still a church? When you think that success means having this big outer thing and taxes don't agree with that, right? Health doesn't agree with that. Finances don't agree with that. The opinion of others don't agree with that. Your heart doesn't agree to that. What does that do to your calling? I'm trying to say, let us be the kind of people who can be thankful when things don't go how we think they're supposed to go because it causes us to look in a deeper place. Now, you may know that the word church doesn't mean a building. The word church doesn't mean a place where people go once a week and there's a guy standing there talking. You know that, right? You know that a church doesn't have to have anything to do with architecture or configuration or an hour or a day during the week. Church has nothing to do with any of that. If you know your stuff, you know that the word church comes from the Greek word ecclesia, the great word. It means called out. So here's what church is. Church is a group of people, a community of called out people. Ask yourself, here's another question for your piece of paper. What does it mean to be called out? When you're called out, there's something in your heart that's got to come out. When we are a called out community, it has very little to do with listening to one person and everything to do with us holding each other accountable. When you are called out and when you call somebody else out, you're saying, look, you're better than this. Let's grow together. So I got to ask you, when you're watching church online, 
looking at somebody talking to you through their laptop camera, or even before this, when you used to go to a place on Sunday morning, did it make you feel called out? Did it hold you accountable? Did it make you want to be better? Because if it didn't, by the definition of the word itself, if it didn't call you out, then it just wasn't church. It was something else. It was something else. So what if we call each other out? What if we what if we look in a different place? That great commission where Jesus says we're supposed to go out into the world and tell other people about this and baptize and, and declare and live this stuff. What do you think that's about? Do you think that Jesus' intention was, I want you to change the world, that's in there, I want you to change the world, therefore, we got to look at some architectural drawings. I want you to change the world, therefore, we got to send out flyers. I want you to change the world, and therefore, you need a haircut. Right? That kind of thing? You think that's what he had in mind? I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure that the Great Commission has to do with teaching somebody something. So how do you learn? How do you learn? Do you learn from a sales pitch? As long as we're doing our word analysis, you probably know that the word education comes from the root to draw out of. When you are educated, when you learn something, it means that something in you was drawn out. It's an inside-out kind of thing, just like everything that matters. That's very different than what we often think of. When someone is converted, it means that they are changed and what's inside of them is different. When someone has sold something, it's something they don't already have. But when they're taught something, it means they remember what they have always been. Think about what baptism is. Baptism is when you wash away all of the stuff that's collected on the outside so that what was always there on the inside can come out. So ask yourself, is your religious persuasion, or if you're not a minister, your calling in life, the thing that you do, this applies to all of us, is your thing about drawing out, or is your thing about absence? Is it a sales pitch? This is a big deal. I've read those books about ministry where they say you're supposed to work on your elevator pitch. You know what that is? You probably heard that term if you've ever read a self-help book or whatever or how to be better in business or you've just been on the internet for more than about five minutes. Someone has told you to work on your elevator pitch. You know what that is? The elevator pitch is get your idea so clear and so concise that if you're trapped on an elevator with somebody, you could explain it before the doors open up again. That's an elevator pitch. And it sounds good. Except, you know what? It doesn't sound good. I can't even go there. It doesn't sound good at all. Can you imagine being trapped on an elevator with somebody like that? That sounds terrible. Especially if the elevator pitch is about Jesus. Look, I like talking about Jesus. I'll do it all day with you. But if I got on the elevator and the person next to me said, let me tell you about the Lord, I'd hit the fire button. Wouldn't you? Religiosity shouldn't be about an elevator pitch because that's not education, that's sales. Ask yourself about your life. How much of it is about teaching, about beholding something true in somebody, and how much of it is a sales pitch? This whole thing, the great commandment, the great commission, living this life, building a church, or just building a life, 
This whole thing is about teaching. So ask yourself, think about your life. When were the times when you really learned something? When you really learned something, when something got through to you, how did that happen? Most of the time, look, maybe all the time, when you learn something, it doesn't happen through a salesperson, an affiliate. When you learn something, it happened from somebody in your house, in your family, in that small group of people who love you and who you love. When you learn something, you did it from someone who was right there for you. As I said at the beginning of all of this, the word that keeps coming up is the word house. Go back to your people. Go back to your house. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. House, 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 house. It gets used a lot. Well, if you know your Greek, the word for that is oikos. It's not a Greek yogurt, I promise. The word is oikos, and oikos means literally house. But it doesn't just mean house because it's not a building. You can have oikos with the people in a field. And it doesn't just mean family because you can have that with people who have no DNA in common with you. You can have that with people who you don't agree with. It means something else. So let's put it in English. What we're talking about. The place where learning happens, and according to Jesus, and according to the whole Bible, the place where the change in the world starts, the change in your heart starts, has to do with the people who are sitting in the front row of your life. Think about it. Really, really, every time you've learned, every time you've had a breakthrough, every time you've told your truth, every time something happened for you, it happened in the context of like 8 to 12 people who are sitting in the front row of your life. Those are the people who are there for you. Those are the people that you love. And through that audience, things change. Now, I know that some of those people come and go. It's not always the same 8 to 12 people, but that's okay. At the end of the day, that's where change lives because that's where love lives. A few months ago, when we were still at the beginning of the whole corona thing, I wrote a little blog post on my, on my blog about the ministers and the churches who were forcing people to stay open. Because there were ministers who did it for a genuine faith claim, and that's great, but I know and you know and we know that a lot of them were doing it because they want to pay the bills. And like I said, that, that I was ashamed at that. But one of the things I heard a lot was ministers said, well, if you have faith, you can be in a group of people, everybody singing, and nobody gets sick. Hmm. I'm not sure that's how faith works. And what I wrote in my little article was, I said, I'll tell you what. I'm going to build an altar at the other side of a swimming pool. We're going to fill that pool with water and sharks. And all you got to do to get to the altar is walk across the water. That shouldn't be a problem if you have faith, right? Jesus said, the works I do, you shall do also, right? So what's the problem? If you got faith, you won't get bit. You won't even get wet. And we would never build that church, would we? Why is it? Don't you believe in what Jesus said? I know I do. Maybe it's not about that. <laughs> Remember with me that of all 12 of the original guys, only Peter could walk on water, and him only for a couple minutes, he couldn't even get it right. So if those ministers are suggesting that they're better at teaching faith than Jesus, I think we've got some ego problems, right? That's not what it's about. 
The idea is that your concept of church, even it's not a building, but it, even more than that, it needs to be the idea of a place where people who are at all levels of this can come in. This isn't a place for mastery. This is a place for what Jenny calls grace and space. You know what that is? Grace and space means I see that God's working in your life and I'm going to give you space to work that out with God in whatever way you need. Having an altar at the end of a shark-infested pool is a little bit like having a hospital that's only open to well people. And it doesn't make any sense. But you don't get grace and space from a sales pitch. You get it from your home. So ask yourself, where do you get grace and space? Do you get it from a place that insists upon a certain theology that tells you you're wrong if you don't agree? Do you get it from sales pitches and forced catechism? Do you get it from dogma? Is that where you get grace and space? Here's what I'm trying to say. As we question everything, that we're doing with water and stone. And as you question everything that you have been doing with your life, and we try to find answers that really work as the world changes around us and we change right along with it, what I'm saying is I do not require everybody to agree with me in order to talk with me. It doesn't have to work that way anymore. I don't need everybody to agree. There's this great part. Jesus heals a man who had been blind. And he does it on the Sabbath, which, uh, spiritually speaking, is a no-no. You're not supposed to do that. One of the many things that Jesus uh, ruffled some feathers about. And the authorities, the Pharisees, bring the guy in, the guy who used to be blind and isn't blind anymore. And I can imagine a situation like in the police movies where somebody's in that, that interrogation room and they got the one-way mirror and the whole thing, and they're grilling him about all of these things. And they say, look, isn't he a sinner? Isn't he a bad guy? He did this on the Sabbath and you're not, you're not supposed to do that. He, in other words, doesn't agree with our theology. So isn't he a bad guy? And the guy says, look, I don't know about any of that, man. Here's what I know. I was blind and now I see. That's all. So here's another thing to write down. What do you know on that level? What do you know on the I was blind and now I see level? That's what I'm interested in. I don't need you to memorize a book. I don't need you to go chapter and verse toe-to-toe -to -toe with me. This isn't a competition, and it sure ain't a sales pitch. What I need is, I don't know, man, but this works. This feels like spirit happening in my life. I can work with that. I don't need written theology. I need walking theology. When people look at you, can they see spirit happening? Because man, oh man, that's how you change the world. So I promised you five things. These are five things that, that are the way that we're going to do things around here. But more than that, these five things, I promise, if you work on them this month, they're going to change things for you. They're going to change the way that you deal with other people. They're going to change the way that you look at God, and they are in alignment with what Jesus said we're supposed to be doing in the first place. So that's kind of important. So you ready? This is the time to write stuff down. Step one, make 
your list of the people in the front row of your life. It's like I said, it's eight to 12 people. Make your list. Some of those people have come and gone. They're probably not the same eight to 12 people you grew up with, but that's okay. Sometimes people get what they need and they go off. That's how the world gets changed and that's just fine. Step one is make your list of the people in the front row of your life. And step two is pray about those people every day. We're going to try this. I want you to do this this whole month because that's how long it takes to be a habit. If you can do this, I promise it's going to change things for you. Step two is pray about those people. And I'm not here to tell you how to pray about them. In your prayer time, ask God about them. Talk to God about them. Forgive them if necessary. In one way or another, see them happy and successful and free in your prayer time every day this month. Because here's the deal. God already sees them as perfect and whole. All you got to do is agree with God about them. Step two is pray about those people. Step three is invest in their success in whatever way is healthy. We're not talking about codependent stuff, but in healthy ways, invest in their success. It means checking on them. It means being there for them. It means going to their interpretive dance performance even if you don't want to go. What does it mean for you to invest in somebody else's success? Do that. Do something about that every day this month. Step four, share your heart with them. Not your theology. We're not converting. We're not elevator pitching. We're not doing any of that. Share your heart with them. And step five is give them grace and space. See God working in their lives and give them room to work that out and love them through the whole thing. If you do those five things, do something about each of those five things every day this month, I promise it's going to change things for you. It's going to change things for this church. And this is the beginning. You want to know how to change the world? Those things will change the world. This is how it starts. It started with 12 people. Where will it end? I'm here for this ride, right along with you. I can't wait to see where it goes. But this is the beginning of something amazing and something free. Because after all, freedom is a choice. Hey, this is Dieter Randolph, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the lesson and hopefully for taking some time to apply what we talked about in your life. That's where this really happens. I love the idea that church isn't something that happens to you, but rather something that happens through you. What you do based on what you've heard can change your life and really change the world. This is just the beginning of a bigger journey. And if you want to continue your journey with us, I'd love for you to like and subscribe us on YouTube where you can watch the videos. Come join us in person. Our street address and all kinds of information is at our website, waterandstonechurch.com. All of that sort of thing. If you want to give electronically, that's where to do it. If you want to connect with us on social media, and you really should do that there, waterandstonechurch.com. Thank you for being a part of this work.